Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Maybe you've got a large lot. Maybe you've got a few acres. And maybe you've been hankering to get yourself a tractor. Well, before you spend your children's inheritance on a piece of machinery, you need to ask yourself some questions. We talk backyard tractor basics on today's show. And we'll discuss less toxic weed killers, plus how the change of the seasons and the change of the clock this weekend may not be particularly healthy for you unless you're a gardener. And how your garden can brighten up the gloomy days ahead for the people you care about. It's episode 58 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast brought to you by Smart Pots. And we're going to do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. Maybe you own a big lot. Maybe you have a bit of acreage. Maybe you've been thinking about getting yourself a small tractor. You may want to listen to this segment recorded back when there used to be conventions in person. We're talking backyard tractor basics here on Garden Basics with Farmer Fred. We're talking with Dave Bennett of Mission Valley Tractor and Equipment in San Jose. He's at the Kubota booth here at the NorCal show in San Mateo. And Dave, uh, I can see gardeners walking by the equipment you have on display here and drooling. There is a lot of things here that uh, people with a little bit of acreage or maybe not so much acreage would, would love to have. Yeah, Kubota is the company that really kind of invented the subcompact tractor category for homeowners. Uh, they started it 40 years ago, for those that don't know, 40-plus uh, years ago. And so you can start with a tractor with... 18 horsepower that's relatively small doesn't look much different quite honestly than a riding mower that you would see out in front of one of the large hardware stores um, but they are in fact a legitimate tractor so homeowners that anybody that has a half acre on up can own a tractor and use it for a number of different purposes whether it's mowing their lawn mowing wild grass uh, rototilling, post hole digging, uh, even in some slightly larger applications with backhoes. Uh, so they can do a lot of trenching and, and digging of ponds and things of that nature as well. Now, for those who are just entering the world of uh, big boy power equipment here, they may hear the term PTO, and that's a very important term to know if you're right. in the market for buying a tractor. Right, right. PTO stands for power takeoff. So basically, you're using the power that the engine produces to run the implement that you're using. And maybe the most common application would be a rototiller. Something has to turn those tines, and you use the power of the engine to turn those tines. So that's what you're not going to find on a riding mower. A riding mower will not have a power takeoff. You need a tractor for that, and that's where Kubota comes in. Does Kubota also have a line of mowers for PTOs? Kubota does. They have some mowers that they brand, but they may not also be the manufacturer of that. Kubota's got an association with another company named Land Pride, and Land Pride does most of the manufacturing of the implements that you might buy when you buy a tractor for your personal property. And 
they have an alliance. They're not the same company, but they have an alliance. So if you buy a Kubota tractor on their 0% financing promotion, you can buy any Land Pride implement at the same time, also at 0%. I would think you get a lot of customers who are buying a backhoe or a tractor or an RTV-type vehicle and coming back and saying, oh, man, did I make a mistake? I should have done such-and-such or so-and-so. What are those such-and-suches and so-and-sos? Well, it's interesting because most of the customers that come to me that don't have any experience with tractors, never have owned one before, only know what people, what they, you know, they've had conversations with people that say, you need this or you need that, or they've been online and they're trying to get direction from people online. I find myself most often, specifically with homeowners, talking them down from horsepower rather than talking them up. Um, they have friends, you know, a friend that's owned three or four tractors in his life, and he tells them he needs a 75-horsepower tractor to run his three-acre property. No, you don't. And, you know, you can actually go too large. So I spend a, lar- a, lo- a lot of my time talking customers down rather than talking them up, because uh, it... it it's generally the better fit. It's not only horsepower size, but the width of the vehicle. I would imagine there are people who are buying tractors who didn't realize till they got it home it doesn't fit through the back gate. Exactly, and that that's the primary concern, and those are part of the questions that I have to ask, is to make sure that we don't go too large. If you've got a three-acre piece of property, more than likely you've got tight spaces in that three-acre property that you need to get into and out of. You buy a tractor that's too large, it's going to become clumsy, then you're going to be frustrated, and feel like you've wasted your money. We want to make sure that doesn't happen. I would think that uh, most of the implements you sell for home use would get through an 8-foot gate, but I bet a 16-foot gate would be better. Well, and that's true, but we go down to basically 48 inches would be would be the the measurement for a subcompact tractor um if it if you're going to buy one with a front loader they generally will come with a 48 inch front bucket and then you always want to match the implement on the back to whatever the width of the bucket is on the front so that you're the same dimensions front to back uh so that would mean a 48 inch tiller so you can get yourself through a 48 inch gate Let's talk about that bucket because a lot of people think it's going to move massive amounts of compost or mulch. And in reality, a, a bucket for on a homeowner implement might hold, what, a third of a yard? Uh, probably not even that. But what we, we also talk about with, with customers a lot of the time is that in a, in a general sense, these smaller tractors will do all of the same work of any larger tractor. They just do it on a smaller scale. So instead of buying a a tractor with a large bucket that's going to fit three quarters of a yard or a yard you don't have to buy that buy a smaller tractor with a smaller bucket yeah you may have to make more trips to move that pile of dirt that you're trying to move but it will still move that pile of dirt and again do it on a more cost-friendly basis for you and a a more size-friendly basis for your property now, you mentioned a 48-inch bucket. Uh, what is the capacity of that? That bucket will probably be 20% of a yard. So a quarter of a yard, Yeah, maybe? about a quarter yard okay. to, to some extent. Um, and, it, of course, it all depends. There's a lot of variation. Um, but with homeowners, well, with everybody, it's a time versus money. With almost everybody, it's time versus money. Homeowners typically have more time and don't want to spend as much money. If you're in business, time is more valuable, so you need that job done faster. But if it's if it's a weekend project, and instead of making you know six trips to that pile of dirt to get it spread out or moved, you make twelve trips. And well, that kind of time you've got, and if I can do that with a tractor that's ten thousand dollars less, I'm okay with that. 
I would imagine, too, you get calls from uh, frantic uh, big-time backyard gardeners who have one of your uh, tractors, and they say, uh, Dave, I just got stuck in the mud. I didn't think tractors got stuck in the mud. Uh, it actually doesn't happen. I don't think I've ever taken that phone call. Oh, good. Um, right. Most of the tractors that we sell are four-wheel drive. Um, and they also have a rear differential lock. So you can get all four wheels turning at the same time. And traction is definitely something that we talk about a lot. Um, adding weight to a tractor, making sure that you've got the right tread type. Um, adding weight can be a, a huge uh, improvement to a tractor because the more ground pressure you have, the better bite that tire is going to have. And as long as you've got the horsepower to move it all forward, you're in good shape. What do you call the tire that would be for that home situation? It wouldn't be a turf tire, obviously. No, a turf tire is really just for mowing lawns so that you're the least disruptive to soil. Uh, the other options are typically an ag tire, which is a very aggressive paddle-type tire. Um, that's the most aggressive. And then right in the middle, kind of your all-season tire, if you will, relative to tractor ap application, is what we call an industrial tire or an R4 tire. So on the ends, you've got nice paddles at the end of the tire tread to get you in and out of that mud situation, but a, a crossover pattern in the center to give you a nicer, smoother ride and less soil disruption in the center of the tire. What sort of fuel requirements does it have? Uh, well, all of our tractors are diesel, and uh, Kubotas are the most efficient diesel tractors that are out there. Um, but the nice thing about diesel is that it doesn't... Uh, doesn't take the maintenance that gasoline does. Gasoline over time can turn to varnish or jelly. Uh, that doesn't happen with diesel. Uh, the only issue with diesel, which we typically don't have to deal with here in California, is condensation. Water gets added to that diesel. But you typically have a fuel water separator. It's an easy process to get those things separated away. And you can leave the diesel in there for six, six months, eight months, a year. And as long as the battery's fresh, turn the key and it'll start. What is the maintenance schedule on the uh, backyard tractor? A brand new tractor will require the first 50 hours as a break-in period. Uh, after that 50 hours, you do an oil change. There's a, a, a list of inspections that you want to do. Uh, and then after that, you're typically every 150 or 200 hours of service. And for the homeowner, that's about a year. The average use of a, of a compact tractor for the homeowner is about 200 hours a year. Can the homeowner do that maintenance themselves? Yeah, it's it's really not much different than changing the oil in a car. So if you have basic mechanical aptitude and know how you know changing oil is done on a tractor, it's effectively the same. And finally, what are some of the uh, implements that homeowners are craving that they're buying? The four top implements for homeowners is box scrapers with manual ripper shanks, rototillers, rotary cutters are what some people refer to as a bush hog. Um, that's a brand name, but everybody understands what that means. Uh, those are called rotary cutters. So rotary cutters, post hole diggers, uh, rototillers, and box scrapers are by far the, the most common. Nobody wants a backhoe? They do, um, but backhoes are probably my most requested and least purchased item because they add significant cost. So unless you have a project that's large enough to justify that cost, most of the time, people will opt to rent a backhoe if they need it for that once or twice project and then keep the tractor without the backhoe for all the all the day-to-day -day projects throughout the year. Now, I would think that might be a good piece of advice for those potential 
uh, backyard gardeners who are looking to move up because of their acreage to a tractor or a backhoe or a rototiller might be to rent it first and try it out, see how you like it. Yes, and Kubota actually has a program right now with Home Depot where you can rent our subcompact tractor. It's a 23-horsepower, three-cylinder diesel tractor with a 48-inch bucket on the front and a backhoe at the back, which will dig to a depth of six feet and comes with a 12-inch bucket. So it's a great opportunity to go down to your local Home Depot and get the orange tractor that's out in front and try that out. I actually have customers that are in the process of doing that right now so they feel like they can make the best choice. Uh, and then most dealers, uh, tractor and equipment dealers, will have their own rental fleet. So if you don't see it available at your Home Depot, ask your local dealer, and they may actually have it in their fleet. You can you know rent it for them for a day or two and get the feel of it. I'm sure you'll be surprised because most people are. Good advice. Dave Bennett, Mission Valley Tractor and Equipment in San Jose. Thanks for some of your time. Thank you. We're glad to have SmartPots on board supporting the Garden Basics podcast. SmartPots are the original award-winning fabric planter. They're sold worldwide. SmartPots are proudly made 100% in the USA. I'm pretty picky about who I allow to advertise on this program. My criteria, though, is, is pretty simple. It has to be a product I like, a product I use, a product I would buy again. And SmartPots clicks all those boxes. They're durable. They're reusable. SmartPots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value stores nationwide. To find a store near you, visit SmartPots.com Fred. It's SmartPots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to SmartPots.com Fred for more info and that special Farmer Fred discount on your next SmartPot purchase. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. Well, if you grow a backyard garden, you also are growing weeds. How do you control your weeds? One theme of this show has always been always start with the least toxic alternatives. And when it comes to controlling weeds, probably the easiest, well, maybe not the easiest, but the quickest way to control the weeds is to dig them out by hand. But if you want to reach for a chemical solution to control your weeds, there's a lot available. And what's nice, there are less toxic chemical solutions available for controlling weeds. We're talking with Lance Walheim. He's a garden expert with BioAdvanced. And Lance is a citrus grower in Central California. And Lance, I would think, too, that uh, you've got weed issues, too, that you're probably taking care of uh, mechanically, I would think. You know, definitely, um, if you can get after the weeds early, I, you know, you're talking about the vegetable garden. One of the things I love to do when I'm out there is I just cultivate constantly. It, it adds air to the soil, but you can also get a lot of those troublesome weeds early on. So whether you're in the vegetables or in the flowers, you get out there with a the hoe or a trowel and just turn the soil over, let those new seedlings die out. And that's, that's a, that's a good, very effective way to control weeds. And, you know, it's so true when you're, when it comes to uh, growing a weed-free lawn, or at least a lawn that has fewer weeds, making sure that you're really up on the cultural practices, making sure that you're watering, mowing, and fertilizing at the proper rates uh, will go a long way into preventing weeds in your lawn. That's really the first step in preventative. 
But there are some alternatives, um, BioAdvanced and their sister company, Natria. Natria, we've got the Natria grass and weed control with root kill, which is a new product that came out last year. Um, and I, people are really excited and I really like it because it works very well. It's a combination of ammoniated salts of fatty acids. So it's basically ammoniated soaps of fatty acids, sorry. So it's basically like a soap with, with some salts added to it. And then it also has, and that gives you the quick knockdown. You'll see results almost immediately. And then it's combined with malleic hydroside. Malleic hydroside is derived from malleic acid, which is in apples and other fruit as they ripen. It's produced naturally there. But since we have to make changes to it to produce malleic hydroside, we can't call it organic. But it is a food-grade um, plant growth regulator. It's used on, to control sprouting in potatoes and onions in supermarkets. So we feel that really fits into the Natria line, which is our alternative pest control products. So it, it's, it's really interesting. It's, it's important when you're using this product. And this is true for anybody using any organic or natural or alternative pest control product, whether it's a weed control or insecticide, you have to follow the label. Some of these products, if they're not used correctly, can do harm to you and to some of your plants. So read the label. It's always the same. The label is the law. And you'll see on this product, the uh, Natria grass and weed control with root kill, that it instructs you how to do it. And it's all, not only about safety when it comes to following the label instructions, it's about how to get the re best results. And you'll see there on the label that it says it's very important to thoroughly soak the weed and also make sure you get the growing points. Like any herbicide, some of the tougher weeds may need repeat applications, but if you're looking for an alternative, that's a great one to look at. Whenever you're out shopping for some sort of herbicide to control weeds, always check out the signal word on the front of the uh, bottle or uh, package, and there will be one of three words. It'll either say caution, warning, or danger. Caution is the least toxic, danger obviously the most toxic. So always choose the least toxic alternative first when you're out shopping. Now, I noticed that the Natria grass and weed control with root kill product has the caution label. And there are, of course, instructions on uh, how to uh, you know prevent damage to yourself and, and your surrounding plants. And that's one thing we should point out about Natria is that it is a non-selective herbicide. So you only want to spray the plants you want to kill. That's correct. And you don't want to use it on your lawn because it can damage your lawn and you want to be careful when you're using it. Uh, we have some uh, great tips on Natria.com on how to protect plants uh, around the weeds that you're trying to kill. So if you want some information, that's a good place to go. Does it involve cardboard? It does in yes, some good. cases. Yeah. Yes, yes, it does. Carry a cardboard box around with you, one side of a cardboard box to uh, shield your desired plant from the weed that you're trying to kill. Now, the, the one thing about Natria is it is it has uh, got that root kill function in it, which is so important. A lot of organic herbicides only succeed at top kill, and you may see results immediately with top kill, but the root is still alive. But this, much like glyphosate, uh, has the root kill function, so it kills it, as uh, they would say, a weed and all. Exactly. 
That's what we're really looking for. We're really trying to bring our alternative line of pest control products, including herbicides, to increase the effectiveness of them. Um, Because gardeners get frustrated a lot of times when they're using natural organic products. They don't realize that it's it's really a total different ballgame. If you're going to be an organic gardener, you can do it very successfully, but you have to be a very good observer. I like to say that using organic products or natural products is a good news, bad news story. The good news is that these products break down quickly in the environment. The bad news is these products break down quickly in the environment. In other words, you're going to get effective if you use the product often. There isn't the residual control that you get a lot with the traditional pest control products. So you got to be out there. You got to be checking your garden. The first time you see an insect pest or you've got to take care of it with the with the natria products or any natural organic product and then you've got to repeat it so fall again the best information is going to be on that label if you've ever gotten aphids on your cucumbers or on your melons you know how hard it is to control those things if they get out of control you just can't catch up so get out get on it early and get on it often now, when it comes to aphid control, one of the uh, least toxic uh, control methods is to get out there with a spray of water and spray the aphids off the plants. But you have to do it on a regular basis, perhaps every day. And you have to hit both sides of the leaf in order to uh, get some sort of effective control. And we've talked before on this show, of course, about having the good bug hotel of having desirable plants that attract beneficial insects, flowers and such that attract the beneficials as a place to live. But then while they're staying at your good bug hotel, they go after the bad bugs. And there's a lot of desirable plants to have in your yard. And we've talked about this before that uh, can aid you in that regard. And that's why sometimes if, if you can tolerate a small infestation of pests and you have the good bug hotel and you've got the beneficials in your yard, uh, you can let them do the job because uh, they do love to snack on aphids and white flies and scale and things like that. Uh, and that would be obviously the less toxic alternative to uh, some sort of pest control. But uh, you know, sometimes, and especially like white flies, they can get out of control real quick. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. That's part of it. You have to take a, a multiple control approaches and using beneficials, encouraging beneficials, making sure that you're planting resistant varieties if they are available. There's a lot more resistant varieties to diseases and insects out there than you might think. So you do a little bit of homework, but hand picking. I mean, how many times have you, it's gross, but when you grab a tomato hornworm and you stomp on them, Tell me you don't feel good. <laughs> and it's the same way with slugs and snails. So, yeah. So there, yeah. You, you have to do a number of different things and you have to accept damage. You're absolutely right. So if people want more information about uh, the Natria products, where can they go? They can go to natria.com. We've got a lot of great tools to help you identify pests and then specific recommendations on how to control them. And we also have a lot of tips on how to be a a better gardener and control insects naturally, kind of going after that integrated pest management, which is really what we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. A happy plant is usually a pest-free plant. So if you uh, start off with the right plant in the right place, usually success will follow. That's right. Taking good care of them is one of your best steps. Lance Walheim, garden expert with BioAdvanced. Thanks for a few minutes of your time. My pleasure. 
In a not very famous song of nearly 40 years ago, performance artist Laurie Anderson sang, Language is a Virus. Before that, novelist William S. Burroughs used that line, Language is a Virus, from Outer Space. He wrote it in the book, The Ticket That Exploded. It refers to the words we use in everyday conversation that mutate over the years into colloquialisms, popular slang, abbreviations, maybe new terminology based on modern technology. And one of those virus-like terms, which appropriately enough is associated with the coronavirus, is social distancing. In a recent Pointer newsletter for journalism professionals, writer Deborah Lynn Blumberg made a rather astute observation. She wrote, I was speaking with a psychologist today for a story I'm working on. I can't remember, but have you discussed the distinction between social distancing and physical distancing? I still see so many news stories talking about social distancing, while psychologists I talk to in my reporting keep stressing that we should be saying physical distancing instead. Why? Because we shouldn't be socially distant from people right now, since that's a negative for our mental health. We need to connect with other people in safe ways. This could be something good for journalists to think about or remember as they're writing, especially as we get into winter months and many people grapple with SAD, seasonal affective disorder, which therapists believe may be worse for people this year. Well, Deborah is exactly right. Social distancing can, according to researchers, even have a physical impact on people, particularly seniors. And you know what I'm talking about if you have friends or relatives in an assisted living facility, nursing home, or convalescent hospital. You might have noticed a decline in their mental and physical health this year. Well, what changed? The big one, the lack of physical contact with you, because you're not allowed a face-to-face -face visit in person. They, as you, miss that physical contact of the touch of a hand, a hug, a kiss. For many of these people, they can't even assemble with their peers in the facility's dining room because of fear of the spread of coronavirus. And now, as daylight savings time becomes standard time this weekend, combine that with the approaching lack of sunlight in winter. That's right, come Sunday afternoon, the sun will be setting between 5 and 6 o'clock in many places. And that kind of puts a crimp into your gardening schedule now, doesn't it? So all of us may feel that seasonal affective disorder this fall and winter even more than usual because of coronavirus and social distancing. For us muddling through our daily lives right now, we do need that physical space for our own safety. That's true. But that doesn't mean you can't share a kind word with your masked compatriots while standing on your assigned well-spaced square in that supermarket checkout line. Nor does it mean that you have to give up gardening. If anything, we need more contact with our plants. Touch them, smell them, and yes, talk to them. Talk to the birds, the bees, the cabbage worms too. Regarding those cabbage worms, you don't have to talk nicely to them though. But when it comes to people and interacting with people, you can still maintain a physical distance, but be social. So why not help out those people who are in the assisted living facilities and the nursing homes and maybe send them a nice bouquet of fresh flowers? You can either order it online and have it sent to them, or drop off your own bouquet of homegrown flowers at the front desk. You may not be able to touch your friends and relatives, but at least they'll be able to touch the things that you touched. Many psychologists have recognized what we are going through and the fact that we wear masks in public. And what you need to do is learn how to smile through a mask. 
The AARP offers these tips. Use body language. Waving, thumbs up, virtual hugs, or clapping are all good ways to convey emotion. Also recommended is clasping your hands high on your chest to signal pleasure. And you can also smile using your shoulders, the posture of your neck, or your eyebrows to convey emotions. They can transmit subtle signals about how you feel. And yes, you can smile under your mask. Actually smile. Now, maybe people can't see your smile, but they can see the rays of your cheeks and the little lift below your eyes. Smiling sends a message to your brain also to release chemicals that gives you a mood boost. Also, focus on articulation. Without the ability to see lips during exchanges, it's important to speak clearly and articulate. And you can always name your emotions if you're feeling sad, upset, or happy. Give voice to those sentiments. People can't read it on your face now, so it's incumbent on us to describe how we feel. And what about that seasonal affective disorder? For the gardener, make time for the garden. Maybe do it early in the morning. After all, it'll be light now at 6 a.m. starting Sunday morning. And spending any time in your garden is going to bring a smile to your face. And those flowers you have growing in your backyard, that could bring a smile to someone else's face who may need that smile more than you. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast has a lot of information posted at each episode. Transcripts, links to any products or books mentioned during the show, and other helpful links for even more information. Plus, you can listen to just the portions of the show that interest you. It's been divided into easily accessible chapters. And you'll find more information about how to get in touch with us. We have links to all our social media outlets, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also, a link to the FarmerFred.com website. That's where you can find out more information about the radio shows. You remember radio, right? Now, if the place where you access the podcast doesn't have that information, you can find it all at our home podcaster, Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout.com. Just look for the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. You'll find a link to it in the show notes. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday, and it's available just about anywhere podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and uh, hey Alexa, play the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, would you please? Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.